Oh my, it's been so long since I've been to this book. We're at page 66 of The Lady in Gold. The extraordinary tale of Gustav Klimt's masterpiece, Portrait of Adele Blockbar, by Anne Marie O'Connor. And this is Robin from Northern California. We are at Hugs for, sorry, Hugs from Your Buddha, page 66. Klimt's muse lived on. Still beautiful, Adele wore the formless dresses of the Wiener Svikstadt, an alliance of innovative designers and artists in chain-smoked cigarettes from a long gold holder. Adele had grown into a serious woman. She told people she was a socialist. Adele had moved with Fernand in 1920 to a decidedly non-proletarian palais at Elizabethstrasse 18. The four-story townhouse was a rarefied address. Katharina Schrott had once lived there. Karl Kraus had lived in a building next door where Ferdinand rented offices. Adele's friend Alma Mahler lived a few doors down. Gustav Mahler had died in 1911. Alma had divorced her latest husband, Walter Gropius, the founder of the Bauhaus, and was living with Czech-born writer Franz Werfel near the offices of an obscure group of men who called themselves National Socialists. Adele proclaimed, proclaimed herself an atheist. She contemplated alternative spirituality, signing a letter, quote, hugs from your Buddha, end quote. Richard Strauss frequently came to dine, though Alma dismissed him as a spectator, speculator, an exploiter of opera, and a materialist par excellence. Adele's family now used the kind of hyphenated surname, Blockbauer, that was most common among the Viennese aristocracy, though it was ostensibly designed to carry on the family name after the death of Adele's brothers. Adele considered herself equal to her remarkable friends. If fate has given me friends who may be counted on intellectually and ethically as extraordinary, then I owe these friendships to one of my main qualities, the strongest self-criticism, Adele would write. I have always been and still am my strictest judge. Through the years, I've become better and more mature and have earned the right for myself to exercise criticism and place the highest demands on my friends. Adele still saw her immortality in art. She was working with the new director of the Belvedere Museum, Franz Martin Aberditzel, to make the family to make the family's Klimt's collection their legacy. I think that in memory of my dear friend Klimt, I owe it to him to make a work by his hands accessible to the public, she wrote Haberditzel, my dear friend Klimt. Haberditzel was a visionary, confined to a wheelchair by what was diagnosed as rheumatoid arthritis, but some historians suspect was multiple sclerosis. He was, he was leading an ambitious plan to make the Belvedere a showcase of new Austrian art. 
Albert Dietzel, embraced the avant-garde. He was among the most important believers in Egon Schiele, buying his drawings and a portrait of Schiele's wife, Edith. The grateful Schiele called Albert Dietzel his soulmate and painted a thoughtful portrait of his warm, kind-hearted patron. Albert Dietzel was recruiting the patrons who had helped to create the secession to assist him in transforming the Austrian gallery into a showcase for the art they had nurtured. He would bring to the Belvedere more than 500 new works by 250 new artists. Aided by patrons like Adele and Fernand, Albert Dietzel would pull his, these artists into the August Vienna institutions that had once shunned them. Fernand, Ferdinand helped pay for the acquisition of one of Klimt's scandalous faculty paintings, Medicine, from Coleman Moser's widow, Dita, along with an old Klimt admirer, Sonia Nips. Klimt was gone, but the patrons he left behind still believed art had the power to open minds and change the world. The transformation of the Belvedere was formidable. Like many venerable Viennese institutions, the Belvedere had a complicated past, even by the standard of Habsburgs, who <clears throat> buried their entrails among the bone rooms in the catacombs of St. Stephen's and their hearts in the Augustine Kirche. The Belvedere's creator, Prince Eugene of Savoy, was an inspiring soldier whose scandal-tainted mother had left him with dim career prospects in France. So, in 1683, Prince Eugene headed to Vienna, where the Turks had laid siege outside the city walls and helped rout them. The, the prince spent the rest of his life erecting a fantastically ornate Baroque palace that was a monument to his life as a warrior. He had a lusty, he had a lusty eye for the male physique. On one ceiling, Prince Eugene had himself painted as Apollo, master of the muses, rolling around the heavens with Eros, the Greek god of desire. His palace's copper-green roof was made to resemble the tent camps of his Turkish adversaries, who left behind Vienna's most important fuel after wine and sex, coffee. Decorative arrows and shields symbolized the booty of war. Fantastic lion women, his sphinxes, kept the palace secrets. He died in his sleep at the Belvedere in 1736, still a bachelor. It was the transformation of this campy palace of war, suffused, like so much of Vienna, with the weight of history, that childless Adele wished to leave behind. On January 19, 1923, Adele chose a piece of fine Elizabethstrasse Elizabeth stationery dipped pen and ink and wrote a short will. She asked Fernandam to leave money to a home for poor children she sponsored, the Kinderfrund. She left money to the Vienna Workers Association Friends of the Children and another charity. She left her jewelry to Gustav Blockbauer's daughters, Louise and Maria, 
and her other nieces and nephews. Her immense library of books would go to the People's and Workers' Library of Vienna. I asked my husband after his death to leave my two portraits in the four landscapes by Gustav Klimt to the Austrian gallery in Vienna, Adele wrote. Art was no longer Adele's only existential concern. Women got the vote in late 1918, and a few months after elected a solidly social, social democratic city government that com- that promise, promise not compromise that promised to help Vienna's poor. Adele was immersed in the ideals of this quote unquote red Vienna and the battle of social justice. The socialists were determined to return to turn the capital into a liberal island. They were fighting for health care, decent housing, workers' rights and secular education. The luxury taxes used to finance reform bred as sorry. The luxury taxes used to finance reform bred resentment, and church authorities preached against the atheists. The architects of this movement gathered at Adele's house every week for a salon her family called her Red Saturday. Adele now held court at Elizabeth Strauss with Karl Renner, the former chancellor of the First Republic of Austria. Renner, a social democrat, had spent his youth at the birth of modern socialism with Leon Trotsky at Vienna's Café Central. Renner spoke of a revolutionary transformation of Vienna, an end to its teeming poverty. Their family friend, Dr. Gertrude Bien, now a successful pediatrician, discussed the delivery of health care to the poor. Adele had never been afraid to wade into Vienna's culture wars. This time it was not for an art-loving elite, but for the populist masses. Goethe writes in Torquato Tasso, A talent is formed in stillness, a character in the mainstream of the world, Adele wrote. In her private life, Adele was a bit of a mystery. She was always tired, not feeling well, and suffering from headaches and vague uh, ailments. No record of a diagnosis exists. Adele refused to go to the doctor. If poor women in Vienna didn't have access to doctors, she told her family, why should she? Adele seemed disillusioned with her marriage. But the, by the end of World War I, arranged marriages were giving way to love mar- matches with an except- expectation sorry, of sexual passion, what Freud called a union of the tender and the sensual. The kind of intense union that Alma had insisted on over and over. Her friend Alma had begun her affair with Walter Gropius before Gustav Mahler died. Stormed through Kokoschka, married Grofius, then fallen in love with Franz Werfel. Alma had always attained the fascinating men who aroused her passion, except for Klimt. Adele often seemed merely impatient with Fernandad, with an air of resigned disappointment. When Fernandad presented Adele with a luxurious diamond bracelet, Adele showed little pleasure. With socialism in the air, she rarely rarely wore it. 
To her family, Adele seemed moody and self-involved. She barely looked up when Teresa's eight-year-old daughter, Maria, peered silently through the velvet curtains of Adele's crowded salon. Maria was intimidated by her formidable remote Aunt Adele with her long gold cigarette holder and her sober, unsmiling stare. Adele did not warm to children. Maria watched as Adele blossomed in the company of her distinguished, learned friends. And that is the reading for today. The next piece will be titled The Good Spirit. I hope you're still interested in this book. I will be getting through it. I like it. I'm finding it interesting to read about what was going on during that time. I, I hope to hear from you maybe sometime. Take good care and thanks for listening.